We'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open and CDC required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Good afternoon. Uh, Welcome to our broadcast. I am going to serve as your host today, and my name is Laura Ramos. I am the Chief Nursing Officer and Vice President of Patient Care Services at Providence St. Jude Medical Center in Fullerton, and I'm honored to be here today. Uh, Just as a reminder, I'd like to share that the information provided during this event is for informational purposes, and any questions that you have, please refer those to your primary health care provider. And with that, uh, let's get started. I'm super excited to have joining me today uh, Dr. Howard Davis, who is the Chief Medical Officer for Providence uh, Cedars-Sinai Tarzana, as well as Providence St. Joseph in Burbank. So uh, welcome, Dr. Davis. Thanks Um, for having me. Absolutely. And so we're going to start off with uh, three areas that uh, we've been asked to share with you and that are common questions. And then we'll also be monitoring the chat. If you have other questions that you would like us to touch on, we would be happy to do so. So um, the three areas that we are going to focus on is how are our organizations impacted by this COVID pandemic? And uh, so we'll describe that a little bit to you. Also, a lot of questions about long hauler syndrome. What is it and what can be done to help uh, those signs and symptoms? And then lastly, we will spend uh, a fair amount of time on vaccines because there are so many questions about vaccinations and uh, signs and symptoms and all of those things. So we will definitely get to that as well. And then anything else that you have on your mind. But uh, with that, uh, Dr. Davis, if maybe you could share Uh, with those that are joining us today, how your organizations were impacted by this pandemic? Yeah, so it's really been a journey. Um, This whole year has has been a journey and and it's been full of of surprises. You know, every time we try to make a prediction about the virus, it it turns out to be be wrong. You know, it started out uh, last March um, and it was a, a very scary time because we didn't know what we were dealing with, there was a lot of fear um, and anxiety, and we were really, really quite uh, unprepared. And, and we had to go through phases of where we didn't have enough testing, or we didn't have enough uh, PPE, and we had to sort of accommodate our, our organizations, our hospitals, uh, to those two things. And then, uh, you know, over the summer, you know, things sort of died down a little bit, and we thought maybe we were uh, over the end of it. And then, or at least at least be able to manage it. And then all of a sudden, um, in December, uh, we got hit by the surge. And and it's it's becoming apparent now that uh, the surge is really a variant, you know, a West Coast variant, because uh, not only is it more infectious, but um, it's more lethal. And what happened in December and January is um, our infection rates uh, went up. Our hospitals were fi- were filled with with COVID patients. Our ICU capacities. 
uh, were maxed out and our mortality rates uh, uh, really uh, increased dramatically uh, during that time. Um, and even though, you know, we've, we've come up with some ways to mitigate uh, the effects of the virus, uh, really we don't have, uh, you know, great uh, treatments. The only thing that's really, that really helped us was the use of dexamethasone, you know, to cut down on the, on the cytokine uh, storm. Uh, that seemed to affect uh, uh, mortality a little bit. Um, but just when things were really getting to the point of, um, of becoming unmanageable, uh, things have, have calmed down again. And, and so right now we're in a, uh, a lull. And, and uh, you know, but I think we're, um, we're, we're more prepared uh, for another surge this time than we were uh, last time. But what's happened is the virus has sort of become, you know, over the last year we've been dealing with it as an acute illness. And what's become apparent, and this is sort of a segue into the long hauler syndrome, is, is we're also beginning to realize that this is a chronic illness as well. And, we're, and, and it's, the two things are, are, are quite different. You know, we're seeing patients uh, who have the sequelae of the acute illness. Right. Uh, you know, they have scarring in their lungs and, and neurological deficits and, and renal insufficiency, things like that. But we're also seeing patients who um, were... Uh, relatively asymptomatic or had mild illnesses and were younger than the ones acutely afflicted with the virus. And we're seeing those as outpatients. And, um, and that's a very confusing, you know, the chronic phase, this chronic illness that we're seeing is, is very confusing. Um, you're, you're seeing reports uh, in the literature um, about what the symptoms are, what the causes could be. And, um, you know, we can go into that in a, in a, in a little more detail. Absolutely, um, yeah. Absolutely. And your experience um, in, in L.A. Uh, mirrors what we were experiencing here in Orange County uh, at St. Jude in Fullerton. Uh, just as you stated, we experienced an initial surge and then the next surge was was dramatic and, and really hit as a very, uh, very full force being uh, having 123 percent of our ICU capacity and 62% of our total census was COVID patients as we peaked at 242 COVID patients with over 400 patients in our organization uh, with the reality that we were actually licensed for 320. So we were dramatically impacted just as, as you were. Um, and at that point needed to stop procedures and surgeries and redeploy uh, nurses and physicians to take care of these hyperacute patients. And what's so interesting, as you stated, uh, so much research and you know um, excellent care, but learning every step of the way. And what we have seen is the beginning of the plateau and then a pretty sharp decline in the number of COVID patients. So for example, today uh, we have uh, 42. And so really now beginning uh, as we expanded so dramatically that contraction and getting back to um, more routine, uh, plans, but uh, obviously this is uh, around and, and not going anywhere uh, anytime soon, as, as you stated with the sequelae. And so I think it's a great segue um, if, you know, you can share with us a little bit about um, long haulers. There's so, so many questions out there and, and we're learning more and more every day. But if, if you could talk a little bit about what it is, what are the typical signs and symptoms? Yeah, so so um, my information about the my firsthand information about the long haulers comes from conversations with the physicians who 
who have been seeing those patients uh, in their offices. You know, and when you first uh, uh, encounter this this uh, this syndrome, it, it sounds like the symptoms are, are relatively vague, um, and um, some and some of the symptoms remind you of of chronic fatigue syndrome, for example, because the symptoms really have to do with fatigue, exercise intolerance. Uh, some some difficulty breathing, um, chest pain, palpitations, uh, things like that. Um, however, the difference between uh, long hauler syndrome or the post-COVID uh, syndrome and, and chronic fatigue syndrome is that there really are a lot of objective findings uh, with with the long hauler syndrome. For example, um, patients with patients with chest pain um, or shortness of breath sometimes um, uh, in the investigation of those complaints. You'll do a pet, uh, what's called a PET CT, um, and a pet on a PET CT you'll see myocardial uh, inflammation uh, on the PET CT. Or if you or if you do a, a chest uh, CT, uh, for example, even on a patient who's relatively you know not having a lot of pulmonary symptoms, you'll see the ground glass uh, pattern that you saw on the acute illness. And yet this is somebody who never really needed to be hospitalized. So, or if you listen to their lungs, you'll hear you'll hear things you know crackles or rails. Uh, in their lungs. And you can even uh, come up with some uh, uh, neurological uh, type sim uh, synt symptoms as well. So, so it, probably what's going on is, is a low-grade inflammatory response that's become, that's become chronic. And, um, and again, you know, we don't know, uh, since we don't really understand uh, this, this disease, uh, we don't really have good uh, treatment for it. Um, it's not the kind of disease that's going to land you in the hospital, but it can be uh, quite debilitating. And an example of that is typically uh, a lot of people, uh, there's one of the uh, symptoms is exercise intolerance. And what happens is you see what's called dysautonomia, which means that a, a, a person will, a person with this problem will go uh, from one room to another and their heart rate will jump up and they'll develop a tachycardia, which is a, which is a rapid heartbeat, you know, and, and that makes it impossible uh, to exercise. The other thing that we see is uh, the loss of taste and smell, um, which obviously is a cardinal symptom of, the, of, the, of both the acute and the, and the chronic illness. But, uh, you know, that can be a, a really disabling uh, symptom because if you can't uh, uh, smell or taste, obviously you're not going to be able to eat well, not, your nutrition will suffer. And we see patients losing weight um, and have to deal with nutritional issues. So, so it's a it's a very confusing uh, syndrome. Um, it's 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 very it's very hard to treat, and um, and our physicians are you know are are still learning are still learning about it. And one of the things that has occurred at some of the hospitals they've set up post COVID uh, clinics. And Laura, maybe you could describe what you've done at St. Jude's with that. I'd be happy to do that. And. As, as Dr. Davis um, stated, we, we are seeing this. And for so many patients, the, the symptoms are so vague and sometimes insidious that, you know, they were feeling like, gosh, am I, am I being neurotic? You know, I feel like I'm having palpitations. I feel like I, you know, I'm, I'm a mother that I normally am able to do multiple tasks at one time, but I can't seem to remember. My, my mind feels foggy you know, I, I'm so tired, I've got shortness of breath, but it was hard for people to put this all together. So through all of this, we uh, at St. Jude, we have a, a very comprehensive center for rehab and wellness. And so our comprehensive team came together and has put together a post-COVID uh, rehabilitation. 
and then ultimately transitioning into a wellness program. But the ability for the therapist to have individual plans, depending on the type of symptom that uh, that, that individual is experiencing, whether um, it is shortness of breath and working on strengthening their pulmonary function or improving muscle strength and ability to have better balance while monitoring their oxygenation, resolving swallowing issues. As Dr. Davis said, so many of these patients were never hospitalized. We're beginning to now see many in our program that were hospitalized, maybe uh, were intubated for a period of time and are having swallowing issues. So they need that you know, rehabilitation. And then cognitive function. Uh, where we can really help them to regain critical thinking and memory. And so it's a very comprehensive program overseen by um, our physiatrist, uh, Dr. Covarubias. And then as the patient improves, we then have the opportunity to transition them into a wellness program. And so much uh, that we know about COVID has to do with inflammation. And so whether that is seeing a dietitian. Uh, there's a variety of, of long-standing things that can be done to really enable that person to, to recover and to get back to a normal state. I thought it was really interesting. I, I heard of a press conference yesterday that Dr. Fucci held and just um, yesterday named this, this syndrome and he called it a post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2, um, which is really referring to the fact that um, there is this after effect from COVID-19 and we're learning more and more every day. But um, I just felt like that was uh, really interesting and, and great timing as there's so many more questions coming, coming out about that. One thing I can add, Laura, is um, it's important to distinguish between the, the long hauler or the post-COVID syndrome and the post-ICU syndrome. You know, patients who have been on a ventilator for, for days and sometimes even weeks uh, don't emerge uh, from uh, completely intact, you know, particularly, you know, their, their muscles uh, tend to atrophy. There's a lot of peripheral uh, uh, weakness. And also there are mental changes, neurological changes sure. that come from being sedated for, for a period of time. So, so and, and cognitive changes as well. So, so that's the group you were referring to the, the, that you're following up um, at the clinic. Yes. Yeah, no, thank you. Ab absolutely. Um, and so with that, perhaps we can transition to vaccines. There's so many questions about uh, vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson. Um, can you maybe start off, Dr. Davis, just uh, explaining the importance of the vaccination? Well, it's, it's everybody's hope that, that the vaccinations will get us through uh, the, next, uh, the next surge if it happens. You know, if, if, if you read about what happened in 1918, it's very interesting, you know. There were there were four surges. Um, they went from 1918 through 1919, and um, there was a. So we've been through two surges, um, and if if history repeats itself, there'll be two more surges in 2021, um, and we can expect the third surge to hit us, you know, so it's sometime April, May, June, whatever. Um, but uh, the vaccine is a way to um, mitigate that, um, and if you know, we can all we can all keep our fingers crossed, but um, so far, uh, the vaccine seems to protect us against traditional uh, COVID. Uh, there's uh, you know a number of, of variants, and uh, let's let's you know keep our fingers crossed that uh, the vaccines will will uh, address will be effective against those those variants. Um, 
you know, we have right now, we have three vaccines, you know, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and, um, and the new J&J. Um, <clears throat> you know, the problem with the Pfizer, well, first of all, the Pfizer and the Moderna seem to be pretty effective against most, if not all of the, uh, of the viruses. Um, you know, the problems with the Pfizer is that it has to be refrigerated at a very low temperature. The Moderna also needs to be refrigerated. Uh, the J&J, from what I understand, does not need to be can be kept at room temperature and can be, so that would mean it could be administered in doctor's offices. Um, so that would be a, a, a great a great advantage. Um, the AstraZeneca, um, <clears throat> from, from what I know, is not as effective against the, the South African variant. So that's sort of, that one is sort of uh, put on hold. And there's, the amazing thing is there's, there's, all, there's over 200 vaccines now in development um, so that that story um, uh, remains to be told. But, uh, you know, so far, you know, a, a good percentage of the U.S. population has been vaccinated. Um, the the high risk people, a, a larger percentage of the high risk people have been vaccinated. Um, the healthcare providers have been vaccinated. And I can't tell you what it, <clears throat> what it was like, um, you know, in, in our vaccine clinics to see our healthcare providers <clears throat> who have been risking themselves, you know, every day. Uh, receiving the, the the joy and and the relief you know on their faces as they as they got vaccinated it really it really meant meant a lot to them opportunities for us has been having the vaccine clinic here as you stated the ability to vaccinate our caregivers our physicians uh their parents you know it it is um you just see the the relief and all the emotion that people have had knowing that they're at the epicenter every day and then going home, uh, you know, with their parents and, and vulnerable uh, elderly, you know, grandparents. And so the ability to, to really serve our mission and to be vaccinating has been profound. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a question in the chat box. Um, do you know if there is a study or do you have knowledge if those that have had COVID should receive one or two doses. Um, some have heard that um, having the second COVID vaccine uh, has very intense reactions. I haven't heard that. Um, I don't know if having had COVID before uh, makes you more susceptible to uh, to, a, to a reaction. I haven't I haven't heard that. Point. Do you think that um, as you know, more people are being vaccinated, that we will begin to see the impact of the pandemic begin to decrease. At what point are we going to see those benefits, do you think? Well, again, you know, every time um, I try to make a prediction about this virus, I'm wrong. So so get ready for a wrong prediction. But I think I think we may see um, a, a surge in, in, the, in the spring because we it's going to be, a, it'll probably be another at least uh, six to eight months before you know a significant portion of the population or, ma or majority of the population is vaccinated, but I, I think that by the summer and and the fall for the fourth surge, if we if history repeats itself, uh, yeah. we should have enough people vaccinated where that plus the herd immunity uh, will get us through that. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, by the end of the year we should be uh, done with this. Yeah, and, and that, that really aligns with a lot of, of what I've heard for the predictions as well. Um, so lastly, what, what would you like to say to folks that are still feeling nervous or reluctant to take the vaccine? 
Well, you know, there are vaccines for, for lots of things. And um, some of the things that there are vaccines for are not as serious as other things, you know, and but COVID is a pretty, it's a pretty serious illness. I mean, there's a half a million people who have died um, so far in the United States from COVID. So it's, it's, um, it's a bad disease. And uh, if we, we have a, um, a very elegant uh, uh, solution for a bad disease, and that's an mRNA a virus uh, a vaccine um, by, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA uh, uh, vaccines, which are, is a really sort of a elegant and high-tech uh, solution uh, to the vaccine problem. So uh, I think for the sake of not only yourselves, but your families and your, and your parents and your grandparents, it's very important to um, try to get the vaccination. Yeah, well said. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate you, Dr. Davis, for joining us today. And for everyone uh, for listening in, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to learn more about our initiatives, our programs, our services. You can uh, visit providence.org and we would be happy to share those with you and as well as our post-COVID recovery program. So thank you all very much for joining us today. Thank you.